Humility is the path. So let's pray. Father, I come to you and ask that you would help us all to hear your voice, um, to understand your will, to know that you have endless compassion and mercy for us, and that all that we ever need is in Jesus Christ, your son. You have provided and given to us every single thing that we need. And that's important to us because we are very needy. We have deep hurt and deep brokenness, and we need you to step into our lives and, and give us comfort and compassion. You are our heavenly father. You do not fail us and you do not abandon us at all. And we believe that, but there's parts of our heart and soul that do not believe it. We doubt, and I pray that you'd help us to fully believe all of your promises and receive your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I only have four flaws. (laughs) She's already booing. I said one sentence. Number one, I lack humility. Number two, I'm inconsistent. And finally, I can't count. (laughs) That was awesome. That was perfect. More coffee. We have coffee for you, supplied for you. It's good coffee. Okay. Well... Uh, life is full of distractions. You know, our regional manager that's been teaching us here in Ecclesiastes, he's been teaching us how to avoid distractions in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Ecclesiastes as we've been going through it. So what are we being distracted from? So what, what is all these distractions trying to keep us from? The answer to that we studied last week, and we're still going to kind of pull from that and draw from that today, is we are being distracted from a life of intimacy and joy with God. That's what, that's what is, is this big distraction. You know, knowing him and walking with him through our life, receiving grace from him moment by moment. That is the goal. That is the life. That is what we are um, supposed to experience. That's what God designed it all way back in the Garden of Eden. God designed it where we lived our life, but it was always with him. And he would walk with us and he would talk with us and he would teach us, be our heavenly father and we would be his children. He loved that design he ma- and, and he made us for that. He delights in us and we were supposed to delight in him, but we took our freedom We took those apples and we rebelled against this plan that he had of joy and moment-by-moment dependence upon him. So Solomon has been looking at life thousands of years after the fall in the Garden of Eden, and, and people are just a wreck, and life is just a wreck. And he's been looking at all of this life and all the problems in life, and he's been wisely kind of putting it together for us and helping us see that there are now things in this life that are just permanent distractions, permanent distractions that, that um, 
that are trying to keep us from being reunited with God. Um, Solomon, you know, he wisely puts all of these distractions together for us, and he explains one thing for us today, and that is that humility is the key to avoiding distractions in life. So let me say that again, because that is the whole point of today's sermon, and you can leave right now if you want, and you're like, I got it. No more needs said. That's cool. You can totally go. But the main lesson is that humility is the key or the path for avoiding all the distractions in life. So pop quiz, do some thinking here, really hard thinking. If humility is the key to avoiding distractions, what do you think the biggest distraction might be? Wow, I don't even need to be here. You guys could teach this all for me. I mean, I, might, I bring the jokes because those are important, but you guys got it, okay? Pride is the greatest distraction in life. Does anyone remember what distraction we dealt with last week? Money and success. That was a big one. All of cha- or the second half of chapter five and all of chapter six was about success and how that can be a great distraction. But chapter seven is going to be all about pride and how pride can be a huge distraction. So we're just going to dive in. I'm going to kind of go through each of the verses in, and we're going to go verse by verse through this chapter, and we're going to kind of hit on how it's talking about pride being the greatest distraction. So it starts here. It says, a good name is better than precious ointment for the day of death and the day of death than the day of one's birth. What does this mean? It's better the day you die than the day you're born? That sounds weird, right? Um, Well, what it means, what Solomon is saying, is that it's character that really matters in a person's life. It's your character. Out Out there in the world, there's so many distractions and things that shift our attention away from things that are really uh, the real issues. And this is the real issue of life. Um... It's always going to be revealed what kind of person you are. It's going to be revealed. We, we have it said another way, be sure your sin will find you out, right? It is going to be revealed. And it's not revealed on the day you're born. It's revealed on the day that you die. How does that happen? Um, well, when you're born, we all have hope. You know, we have birthdays, and we celebrate when someone has a baby, and it's so exciting. But we really just have hope that this baby is going to be a good person and not be Hitler, right? Because we don't know. They could turn out to be Hitler, which would be bad. We all agree Hitler's bad, right? Yes. Okay. We're all on the same page again. But on the day you die, we have a funeral. And at that funeral people come together and they celebrate and review your life. And on that day, we find out what kind of life you lived, what kind of person you really were. And that's not even talking about what happens in heaven, what happens in eternity when you die. We know for sure when people die what kind of life they lived. And that's why, he says, it's actually better to be a good person rather than to feel better about yourself. He said, uh, a good name is better than precious ointment. 
People put precious ointment on themselves when they have a diaper rash, and it makes their diaper rash feel better. Okay? So just think about that. Um, he says it's actually better to just be a good person rather than feel good about yourself. Just be a good person is what he's saying. A good name is better than precious ointment. So what's distracting about all this? Well, Solomon is going to teach us about how pride is the most sinister of all distractions. Pride is about making you feel better about yourself or have a higher opinion of yourself, not seeing yourself the way that you really are. When who you are will eventually come out for everyone to see. And then you, you will feel good about your life if, if that's what your life deserves. You can have that feeling later, he's saying. Um, so he continues on here. He says, better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. What Solomon is saying is that he's asking us to take the humble route in life. There's a path in front of you that forks and goes two directions. One direction is a path of humility, and the other is the path of pride. And he's asking us all to consider this in this chapter. Let humility sink down into your very heart. He says that if given the choice, choose to weep about your life, your production in life, and how you have succeeded rather than to celebrate it. Weep about there's a, there's a story that Jesus tells, um, and it just came to mind, so forgive me if I'm a little jumbled when I talk about it. But there's a story where Jesus says, uh, when, you, when you're uh, done, or when you've, when you've done God's will, he says, don't brag about it, but just say, you know, I did what I was supposed to do, and I probably should have done more. That's a really bad paraphrase of it, but it's there. Um, and that's what he's saying here. He's saying it's it's better to weep about maybe how far you failed than to just celebrate how good you are. And again, this isn't saying you should always be crying and that's what a good person is. It's not what he's saying. He's saying there's two paths in front of you and we need to be consistently choosing the path of humility in order to avoid the distractions that come with pride. If you're always telling yourself how good you're doing, you know what that leads to? Pride, right? And pride comes before what? A fall, right, exactly. Um, so he's encouraging us to choose and to consider and take to heart the path of humility uh, instead of pride, and it will keep us from that distraction. Then he says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So Solomon keeps going with the theme. We need to have a realistic view of who we are and what position we are in. We have really messed up as human beings. We have fallen we have joined in with all those who rebelled against God. We have joined in with them. And we've lost the good that he intended for our lives. 
And we need to stare into this dirty mirror long and hard and let that sink in. And that is what it means to have, to walk the path of humility, is you're well aware of what you look like in the mirror. And how does that happen? Does anyone know how, maybe what part of the Bible or what, uh, what tool God has given us to help us know how dirty we are? Anyone know? The law. Exactly, Russ. The law. The law, all of the Ten Commandments and all the other you know, descriptions of what is right and wrong in the Bible, they are a tool God has given us to help us realize that we are falling short continually, that we are not really much better than anybody else. Now, is the law the same thing as the gospel? Russ, give me an answer. No, it's not, exactly. The law only gives us the message that we failed, but the gospel tells us something completely different. God says, I know that you failed, but the truth is, that I have provide, I've forgiven you of that failure and I've provided everything that you need to actually be the person you were supposed to be through the life and death of my son, Jesus. That is the gospel. Through faith in him, we become the people that God wants us to be by his grace. But it's still important for us to look into this dirty mirror and let it sink in that we, so it's important for us to study the law is what this is saying. It's important for us to realize how far we've fallen, and it keeps us humble. The law produces humility in our lives. You know, what doesn't produce humility is when we use the law to try to justify ourselves and say that we are better than someone else. Like, I haven't told a lie in 45 minutes, so I'm better than you. That kind of comparing does not produce humility, but it produces what? Pride. Exactly. And that's not what the law was made for. The law was not made for comparing and competing with each other. The law says one thing to every single person, you're guilty. That's it. That's what it says. Not you're better than them. You know the one we always like to say, you're better than Hitler at least? And the law would say, well, you both are bad. You both fall short of God's perfect standard. And so Jesus says the same thing to us also. He says, yes, I know you're guilty, but I love you, and I've provided all that is ever needed for your forgiveness and your restoration, your redemption, helping you, changing you, all that stuff. All right, he goes on and he says, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a wise man to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This also is vanity. So here he's saying, if we ignore the truth about our brokenness, about what the law is telling us, and we, turn, we will turn to other things rather than God for healing or to feel better about ourselves. Before he mentioned ointment, well, one of those things that we turn to can be making fun of ourselves or our situation, making light of our situation. Oh, I'm not that bad. Boys will be boys, stuff like that. 
But he's saying here, guys, we need to stare into the pain. We need to see our own devastation. We need to study the uncomfortable mess that we are. Don't ignore it and run to a comedy show just to feel better. Humility has a grasp of its own need. That's what humility is. It's understanding I need something. I am incomplete. I am insufficient. And guys, let me tell you this. The world, and specifically psychology, the the man-centered psychology that has infected the worldview of our world that we live in, they do not agree with this. They say, you are not broken. Or something outside you broke you. And what the Bible says is we are broken. And that very premise determines what we're going to do and which path we're going to go on. Because if you believe that you're not broken, you're going to have the, just go down this path of pride saying, I don't need this. I don't need God because I'm not really broken. I need to figure things out myself. But if you believe I am broken, then you're going to start walking on a path saying, God, I need you. I need help. I need your grace. And those two paths are going to end up in very, very different places. So it's very important for us to understand the two paths that he's saying here and, and how humility is the right path to walk down. Humility has a grasp of its own need. Pride just tries to ignore how broken I am or how much I need God and tries to laugh it off. <laughs> At least I'm not as bad as Hitler, right? Surely, he says here, oppression destroys a wise man's reason and a bribe debases the heart. Well, pride is like this. It doesn't give life. It destroys reason. When we're living a uh, life, we're walking down the path of pride It doesn't give you life. Even though people say, you you need to grab your life. You need to take what's yours. You need to, if people won't give it to you, you take it. Okay, all prideful attitudes. Um, It destroys reason, Solomon says. It doesn't produce a deep heart capable of love. It debases a heart. Humility creates a heart that is capable, big, enlarged, and able to love. Because you don't think you're better than everybody else. See the difference? Pride debases a heart. Pride causes a heart to be incapable of caring about other people or even receiving their love. Then he says here, and this is really important. I got stars and highlighted around this verse. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Just in case you thought I was making all this up, that this is what Solomon is talking about in this chapter, pride and humility. Here he just blatantly says it, says it as clear as day. Patience and humility just go together. And he says they're the opposite of pride. He says if we choose the path of humility, we can end up better than we started. Humility is not the shortcut. It's not the quick way. It's the patient way. It's the patient way because we have to wait for the grace of God. We have to wait upon God. 
wait upon God. We don't like to hear that. We want our answers now. I want to go to counseling for 30 minutes and have all my problems fixed. God says, "Mm, I don't work that way. I want you to come to me. I want you to stick with me and abide with me. And we'll have some conversations. And I will slowly pour my life and my healing nature into you. All through what Jesus has done. So this humility is like a path of patience, of waiting upon God. Not working things out ourselves in our own strength or being in a hurry. God is not generally in a hurry. He's got all the time in the world. He can stop time if he wants. He is not in a hurry. But pride operates in a different way. Pride operates by the flesh or what I can do, what I can give. And that's the difference between pride and humility. Pride is about me and what I can do. And humility is about God and waiting for him to act, trusting him to act. Over here on this wall, we have the humility poster. And it says, James 4, 6, it it highlights that verse for us, which says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, God has set up one way to deal with men, and that is by his grace. He says, no one is ever going to deal with me in another way except by my grace. In other words, a relationship with me is a gift And it's not something you can earn. So there's nothing you can do to earn it. You you can't be better than someone else and say, okay, God, I was better than Hitler, so give me your grace. You can never do anything. God has never looked down from heaven and and looked at someone's life and said, you know what? This person is so awesome. They've done so well. They have such a good heart. I am going to, they have earned my grace. I, I just have to give it to them. That's never happened. Well, maybe once with Jesus. But grace, by definition, is a free gift that cannot be earned. As soon as you earn a gift, it's no longer a gift. It's called wages. It's called a paycheck. And God says, I refuse to give you a paycheck. Why would he refuse to do that? Because the only thing we earn is punishments and death. That's the only thing we can possibly earn. The hardest, if let's say you tried your whole life to be the best person, do you know how far you would rise on compared to God's standard of perfection? You would, you, you, nowhere. You wouldn't even, the best we could possibly do does not compare with his standard of perfection. Because he doesn't just judge the outward actions. He also knows the inward thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And that's where we get really in trouble. Because even if I didn't say I thought you were an idiot, I thought it. I wasn't thinking about you just now, honestly. (laughs) I like that ring, though. Okay. 
So God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Um, now, I want to read the, our grace poster, the one that's right next to the humility, just so that we kind of understand what, what I'm talking about when I say grace. It says, grace is God's free provision through his son, Jesus, as we humbly trust, there's those two relational realities, in the person and work of his son. Jesus generously gives us all that we need, yearn for, and all we're commanded to walk in and become. We could never deserve, earn, or produce this grace on our own. And God says, I give all of this as a free gift to anyone who would just walk the path of humility. To the humble, he says. The humble. God refuses to deal with or give grace to the proud. So in other words, if we have the attitude, if we're walking down the path of pride, saying, I don't need you, God, God says, fine, do it on your own. But God, can you just help me out because I deserve it? You know what? No. And and he literally pushes us away from his life-giving grace and from his life-giving mercy. He can't give us his grace because of pride. He set up this law, this way that it works. He says, I will give you everything you need if you just have humility, if you just recognize that you need me. But pride shuts off. Like it's like a hose of grace coming from God himself. And and pride just shuts off the valve and says, I don't need you. It removes the hose out of my life, and, it, and my life just starts to dry up. And you might not see it immediately, but when I stop watering my yard, it turns brown really fast in the heat of Colorado, right? And that's how our spiritual life works as well. We cannot live apart from him, apart from his grace. And he says, I'll give it to you freely if you're humble. So, so what is humility then? Again, it's being convinced that you cannot provide the life that you need for yourself, your spiritual life. You are more than just your food you eat and the air you breathe. You are more than that. You have a spirit that is eternal, and it also needs to breathe and eat. But the only thing it can breathe and eat is God. It was made that way. We were made to live off of him. And he says, I will freely give you all the spiritual air and food that you could ever need or want. I'm very generous. So walk in humility. How convinced are you that you need God? Ooh, tough question. Think about that. How intensely do you feel or know and understand your desperate need for the supernatural hand of grace and love? Solomon says, yes, we need God. The wise understand that they need God. But the fool, he says, gets distracted by trying to fill that need with so many other things besides God. So he's going to point out some of the distractions for us as we finish the chapter. So let's see some more of these distractions that the fool tries to fill up their their life with instead of God's life-giving presence. He says, do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Do you know what the word fool is in the Bible? It's 
idiots. Okay? So, yeah. Here's a distraction that keeps us separated from God's grace. Anger. Ephesians chapter 4 helps us to understand this when it says this, 426. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. The anger, the problem with anger, guys, is that it's too much for us to control. It's too spicy. All right? It'll give you, never mind. Um, Even if you have the right to be angry, even if you love the spiciness, there will be consequences if you hold it inside your bosom. It's just too powerful and dangerous to mess around with, God says. We have to give it up and turn away from this distraction, and and God says it might be an everyday thing to turn away from anger every day. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. You see, anger, Hebrews agrees with Solomon, it distracts us or draws us away from God's gracious presence. It draws us away. Anger that hardens and petrifies becomes what we call bitterness. And And bitterness is an even bigger distraction for the heart that wants to live by the grace of God. So anger and bitterness. So how do we get rid of them? Well, God's grace is perfectly sufficient for you. For any problem we have, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to walk with humility and say, I am angry, it's true but I want to be humble and I want to embrace and walk the path of humility. So I'm going to give this up to the Lord and say, Lord, you know more than me. You are stronger than me. and I'm going to choose to trust you with faith. Okay? Understanding God is in control is a great act of humility. Understanding that God sees what you're angry about and you may be justified in being angry. And God is... He knows, and he will take care of it because he is just. And justice is a, he's in the business of justice. So he's going to make it right. So we don't want to get into this distraction. All right, so next, the next distraction, he says this. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Okay, so we can get distracted by the thought that we miss the good old days. That's the next distraction that he says here. Looking at what God did in the past and wishing that it would be the same again. You know, that's one way we can do it, living in the past. Oh, I wish it was a revival again. God says, that's a distraction. Stop, stop it, stop. Don't think about that. Worry about today. Live today. Um, trying to recreate a formula that, that made God pour out his grace before on a group of people or a church or in my own life. Well, God worked last time when I, when I went to that church or when I, when I ate this meal or when I 
decided to do this thing. No, God didn't pour out his grace because of any of those things. He did it because he's gracious and he's good. And you can't put make, make God a formula. Um, God wants us to live in the present, not worrying about the past. That's what Solomon is saying. Worrying about the past and thinking about the past is a distraction, he says, that you can't be consumed with. Philippians 3.13 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. So Paul agrees. And you know what? Uh, Man-centered psychology will try to make you believe and think that you have to figure out your past in order to be healed. That you have to find out what things have happened to you in your past, maybe to your inner child, that is keeping you from being able to experience joy and happiness today. And let me tell you, that is not biblical. The Bible says if it's in the past, forget it, forgive it. If it needs dealt with, then deal with it. But it's in the past, and God wants us to live in the present and to walk with humility in the present. That's God's way. Um, he says, going on, wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. <laughs> so he kind of hits on that topic of money again, saying that money might f- seem like it's a defense and, and seems like your life is good because you have a lot of money, right? Like you, I have this defense. I'm, I'm a good person, because obviously because I'm rich, especially back in the day people thought that. But he says it, money never gives you life, right? And then he says don't get distracted. It ca- getting distracted causes you to miss out on life. The life that God intended for you, remember the life of enjoying God and serving God in this life that God has given you with the job God has given you, with the family God has given you. You want to walk and live with the wisdom of humility? Here's how. Solomon tells us right here. Ready? He says, consider the work of God. Consider the work of God. Shift your attention away from all the distractions to the real deal. Your life does not consist of how much money you have or what you should be angry about or are not angry about or any of those other things. Your life will be found in what God has completed, specifically what Jesus has completed on the cross. That is where life is always found. That is where your soul, your spirit will breathe deeply of the life-giving grace of God when we consider his works. So the biggest distraction that the prideful heart has is look at everything I've done, God. Look, at, look I'm going to do more. I'm going to do less. I'm going to give up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. None of it matters. It's all a distraction. You want to know what the Bible's all about? Not what you do, but what God did 
for you. That is the gospel. That is why we come to church, never to talk about what I did, what I am accomplishing, but always to celebrate what he accomplished for me. Amen? That is what is life-giving. What he accomplished gives life. What Jesus accomplished on the cross Pride always wants to look at self, and the prideful heart says, ah, this, this church just rubs me wrong because I never get to talk about myself and all the stuff that I've done. And no one's ever asking me, you know, about me because I really love talking about that subject. Well, guess what? When you come into the house of God, it's not about you. He's the famous one. He's the hero. He is God. So, Pride wants to look at self, what I've accomplished. Humility wants to lift in our hearts, lift up the accomplishments of God. Humility is going to say, God, well, I don't deserve nothing. A, I'm an idiot. And B, you are incredible. To, pour, to, to think of me, to look upon me, and to say that you love me and, and you're going to pay for my debt, all my sin, I'm going to consider that. I'm going to let it sink in. And by considering that and letting it sink in, by eating it and drinking it and letting it become a part of you, that is how life happens in our spirit. That's what the Bible says. Consider the work of God. Solomon said that he's got it. He nails it. It's so awesome how much wisdom this guy has. Then he says this, for who can make straight what he, God, has made crooked? <laughs> what this means is that humility, the path of humility, is convinced that God is in control. Faith trusts his control. Humility gives us... Um, you know, gives up trying to control things in my own power and strength. You know what? If he's made it crooked, it's crooked. I got I to trust him. Yeah, but you're really crooked. Yeah, I know. I'm really crooked, but I'm going to trust him. My life may not be good. Maybe I do have cancer. Maybe I do have horrible things that have happened to me. The path is crooked but I can trust him. I can't change that. I can't change them. I can't change it. But I know that God is in control, so I'm not going to get distracted by that or them or it. Solomon is so wise here. Keeps us from, he's protecting us from getting distracted. He says this, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. Here he says there's another distraction you guys got to worry about, the future. He says, uh, you know, it's, it's so simple to have a plan ready. He says if things are good, rejoice. Just plan on it. If you're blessed, just rejoice. Just be happy and say, thank you, God. I'm happy. 
If things are bad, he says, consider or think. What do we think? God is in control. Just know, if things go bad, you already can know, what am I going to think about? That God is in control. Okay, well, wow, I got in a car accident and lost my left arm. Well, I already planned ahead what, how I'm going to handle this adversity. I'm going to think God is in control. He had a different plan for my left arm than for the rest of my body. God has brought whatever it is into your life, whether it's good or not so good, but God loves you. You got to think about that too. Remember that. God will be with you through it all. And if you have this pre like loaded up into your like booted up into your operating system that you know when when the virus comes you're going to run this program I'm going to think I'm going to remember God is good God is in control and he will be with me through it all then the things that would just rock you and tear you apart that happen and will happen in your life you will be able to stand and say I already know how I'm going to respond to this. Does my heart hurt? Yes. Is my life broken? Yes. But my God has not abandoned me. I'm already planning on considering that, thinking on it. You know, these all go against how we feel like we should act during these times, but that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. Guys, if you just respond to all of your uh, things that happen in your life by how you feel, it's not going to go well. Because when good things happen, you're going to go crazy, nuts. And when bad things happen, you're going to go crazy. And it's never, feelings are not brains. Feelings are not accurate most of the time. We have to learn to rise above our feelings to what life really comes from. Okay, the last, uh, finishing up here, he says, I have seen everything in the days in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. Do not be overly righteous nor overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good for you to grasp this and also not remove your hand from the other, for he who fears God will escape them all. What he says here, basically, if I was to summarize it, is you can't control life, so don't try so hard to. You can't control your life. So stop being distracted by trying to organize and control every single thing that is ever going to happen. It's just a waste of energy, Solomon would say, because your life is given to you by God. And so don't waste your energy. He says, Wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city, for there is not, there is not just a, a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Here is another great uh, explanation of humility. Humility will be better than your li- for your life than anything else, Solomon says. Guys, if you just want, if you just listen to me, this is the most important thing. Humility, if you walk the path of humility, it'll be better for you than anything else. It'll be more safe and wise than if you have 10 politicians looking out for you. That's his example. I, I don't know. I don't understand. Maybe that was good in the day, having 10 politicians looking out for you. I mean, they can get some stuff done, I guess. But anyway, 
Or 10 men watching out, you know, 10 men watching out for you seems to be safe. But walking with the wisdom of humility, Solomon says, is better than having 10 men watch out for you. Humility is, again, being convinced of my own sin and my own brokenness, my own need for help. I'm not thinking that I can earn God's favor or provide anything at all for my own life. He is my everything. That's humility. I am spiritually bankrupt. That's, that's my favorite way to describe humility. I am spiritually bankrupt. Yet, through Christ, I am rich with his spiritual life. And also, do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. <laughs> I just, ben, I just thought of your factory. If you had mics everywhere, what would, people, what would you hear about people calling you? <laughs> That's wise. <laughs> For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. So he's saying, be gracious with people and what they say. Don't worry about it so much because you probably said the same thing, if not much worse in your own mind. So just walk with humility and it won't really surprise you or bother you when people say horrible things about you because they're probably not as bad as who you really are. This is the, the best thing I ever saw on Facebook is someone said, um, it doesn't really bother me what people say or think about me because I'm probably way worse than what they think. That's, that's great humility. It's awesome. I said that. No, just kidding. <laughs> All this I have provided by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. As far uh, that as for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it out? I applied my heart to know, to search, and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even the foolishness and madness, even of foolishness and madness. So here he says, there's another distraction. How about the distraction of trying to figure everything out? Trying to be smarty pants. Uh, trying to understand why everything happens. Solomon says, guys, stop trying to figure it all out. I tried to figure everything out. It didn't even work. And I'm the smartest guy that ever lived. And humble. That's what he said. Solomon tried it and it ends up being a distraction. Now, let me tell you some things that are trying this distraction in our world. Um, I've already mentioned a couple times. Psychology. Trying to figure out why and how everything is happening. Hmm. Politics, trying to figure out a solution for everything. All kinds of different philosophies. And you know what's funny? You know, I ask people all the time, so what's your major? Like nine out of 10 say, well, either psychology or politics or philosophy. People want to know why. And Solomon says here, guys, it's really just a big distraction because you're not in control. Things will happen that you won't understand. But what you can do is you got a fork in front of you. You can walk the path of pride or you can walk the path of humility. You don't have to understand anything about life if you walk humbly with your God. You don't have to understand. You are free from the burden of needing to make sense of anything. 
I love that. God says, just enjoy your life. And I'm with you. You don't need to understand. You don't need to figure it out. It's a distraction. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. Here is what I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason, which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among these I have not found. Truly, this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. You know what the word schemes means? And I think in our context, distractions. We seek out distractions. The final distraction that Solomon discovers for us here is relational pain, relationship pain. That can be a huge distraction. Nothing hurts guys like a broken or an abusive relationship. It damages and discards people left and right. When relationships become about taking rather than giving, it messes everything up and becomes a huge distraction in our lives. And it's not just about other people relating to you by taking, taking, taking. When you decide, you know what, I'm done with it, I'm going to be a taker. Solomon says, you've, you've lost it now. You've become a distraction to your own life. When you think relationships are about taking rather than giving, you're distracted. You're going to be wasting your time, and you're not going to be able to enjoy the life God has given you. And the relationships that God has given you, even though they may be flawed and not perfect. Men and women both become takers using deception, violence, or any other sinful strategy to get what they want out of others. And there are many of these schemes which substitute for real love. Real love gives. That's what it is. Real love gives. Real love provides. Just like 1 Corinthians 13 says. And if you need a refresher, that's your homework. Go study 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's how relationships are supposed to work. The man loves the wife and provides tender affection and security for her. The woman, the wife, provides loving affirmation for him. Both giving, never taking by force or manipulation. That's how relationships are supposed to work. When they don't work that way, Solomon says it's a distraction. But that's the design. Humility is the path that leads to better relationships. Better relationships. Because when you're walking the path of humility, you're not trying to take from everybody all the relationships in your life. You're giving. It's not about me. I'm here for you. It's not about me and what I want. How can I serve you? How can I help you? That's what humility does. Now, we're going to close with this last, very last thing. I'm just going to read to you. Jesus is the hero of our sermon today because he is the perfect example of humility. If you haven't heard anything I've said so far, 
Lift your eyes to our Savior and our Lord Jesus right now because he is amazing. Look at this, what Philippians chapter 2 says. He says, and this is basically summarizes this entire chapter of Ecclesiastes 7 for us, but in more simple terms. Philippians 2 verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So he was God. Let's be as clear as we can about what he's saying. Jesus was God. But he did not, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, that every knee, uh, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Such a beautiful, simple scripture that says, let this, you know, let this mind be in you. Paul says, he says, you be filled with humility. Walk the path of humility because that's what Jesus did. He walked with humility. He didn't come and say, everyone bow down to me, your great Lord. He didn't come that way. He came as a humble baby. Like, how weak can you get? A newborn infant. He showed up. And he showed us what it looked like to live a humble life. Was there grand, you know, trumpeteers playing as he entered the earth scene? No. He was born in a poopy barn. It says a couple really specific things. It says he made himself of no reputation. That means Jesus had no thought of self-image. He did not care what people thought he looked like or thought he was. He was just going to be good. He made himself, he said here, a bondservant. That means he had no thought of self-will. He completely said, I am a bondservant is another word for a slave on purpose. He chose to be a slave of his father, doing the will of his father. He had no thought of self-will. So you want to know what humility is? It's no thought of self-image. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care if I'm famous. It's no thought of self-will. I don't, I don't, my will doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I want to do. I want to party. I want to do this. I want to do that. It doesn't matter. What is my father's will for me? I'm working for his company. He gets to set the rules. He gets to tell me what my job is. Then it said he, he identified with others. He, um, he uh, coming in the likeness of men means he identified with men, sinful, stupid, broken men, which means he had no thought of self-importance. He was God, and he became a man? That is so much worse than you becoming an ant. It is so much greater than you becoming pond scum. God becoming a man is so 
much further than we could possibly imagine. But Jesus didn't care. He had no thought of self-importance because he was caring about you, your little, his little precious pond scum. And the last thing, it says he was obedient to the death, even the death of the cross, which means he had no thought of self-preservation. Then Jesus says, hey, if any of you want to be my disciples... Pick up your cross and follow me. What path are we going to be walking down if we're following this Messiah? The path of humility, where we have no thought of self-image, no thought of self-will, no thought of self-importance, and no thought of self-preservation. Well, then what am I going to think about? Not you. Him. He becomes our life. He says, if you want to be my disciple, Great. I'm open for business. I'm here to give life-giving grace, and I'm inviting you all, come to me, and I will give you life. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, and I will give you rest. I will give you all the grace that you need. It's just humility that you need. That's your price to pay. Are we going to walk in humility, or are we going to walk in pride? That's our choice.